We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. The rich tidal marshes and mixed oak and pine forests of the Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge stretch back into time, into this lush, mysterious world of cricket song and nesting waterfowl in Dorchester County on the edge of the eastern shore. Araminta Ross was born in March 1822. Araminta would go by many names through her long life. Growing up, she was minty. Later, she was called Moses by the enslaved people she led to freedom along the Underground Railroad. Most of us know her as Harriet Tubman. The steadfast abolitionist grew up on a 10-acre property near the mouth of the Blackwater River. Over decades, Tubman's childhood home was lost in the swampy marsh and then rediscovered in 2021. A new documentary visits the site and explores the lives of enslaved people who lived, worked, and died here. It's called Ben's Ten, Chattel Slavery on Maryland's Eastern Shore. The documentary was produced by Maryland Public Television in partnership with the state's Department of Public Transportation State Highway Administration. Julie Shablitsky, Ph.D., is Chief of Cultural Resources at the Maryland Department of Transportation. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having us. And Ernestine Tina Martin-Wyatt is an educator, nurse, and artist, and a descendant of Harriet Tubman herself. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Tina, tell us about Tubman's childhood. What what was her family like? She was one of uh, nine children, and uh, one of them was my great-great-great-grandmother. And she was so sold off with her infant child uh, as her brother testified, suckling at her breast. While they were living on uh, on separate plantations because Rit and Ben were belonged to two separate farms. Rit, Rit or, was Harriet. Was Harriet Green. Harriet, Harriet Green. That was the mother. Mm-hmm. And Ben Ross was the father. And mm-hmm. Ben was owned by uh, Anthony Thompson and uh, Rit, the mother, was owned by Brodus. And so they were on two separate plantations. And uh, but they were allowed to visit on Harriet, as I call her. You know, she was allowed to come and work along the along with her father uh, on the plantation as he was foresting, I call it, uh, but timbering. And, and that's where she learned the skills of navigating the landscape, which put her in great stead during the Civil War uh, in terms of being a scout and a spy. We want to get into that. But Julie Shablitsky, let me ask you, this, this site uh, of Ben's 10 is south of Madison near the Choptank River. What is the landscape like near Tubman's childhood home? The location of Ben Ross's home place is down a road and near the Blackwater River. And it's in what I like to term the land that time forgot. It's very similar to the way it looked when Harriet Tubman was there, except for there's a lot more water. Climate change has really begun to threaten the area. Uh, So it's very, very wet down there. It's hard to get to. And we're really getting to the point where it's impossible to even dig out there. Impossible to dig because the water just fills it in? That's exactly right. The water simply 
comes up to the hole and it has we can only be out there certain times of the year. So August, which is not ideal because you have black flies, mosquitoes, it's hot, it's humid, uh, but that's that's the driest time of the year out there in the, the wetland. Well, Julie, how were you able to confirm that this was indeed the home of Tubman's father, Ben Ross? Yeah, the interesting thing is that the way we were able to determine this was the home where Ben Ross lived uh, was definitely a process. It took us over a thousand holes in a particular search area to narrow it down. We knew from historical uh, maps and descriptions that would talk about old Ben's place located, located below some fields along a road. And when we drew a circle on the map and knew that we had to look in this space, we just dug one hole at a time, hoping we'd find something. And I thought it would be very hard to say exactly where Ben Ross lived. But the problem was, um, or the benefit in this case, is that there were o- was only one site that dated to the time period that Ben Ross would have lived there. So the only site that had 1800s artifacts was the location that we found. So it really, it was easier than I thought it would be. Tina, what was it like for you to visit this site? Oh, it was exciting. I loved, I loved the, the first part of it as we were going down that road, going toward the, um, uh, the site where they were digging. Um, it was overgrown uh, with plants and grasses and and everything. And as we were driving down, and the grasses kept hitting the vehicle and hitting us in the face, and and I was just imagining. Uh, who lived there? Who lived on that road? Um, as 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 we were approaching that site, and it seemed like it would just go on and on and on forever. And I was thinking, it surely took a long time for them to even walk down that road. And it was like I could imagine and 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 think that I was walking down that road as well. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast, speaking with Tina Wyatt, a great-great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman, and with Julie Shablitsky, Chief of Cultural Resources at the Maryland Department of Transportation. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about a new documentary about Tubman's childhood on Maryland's eastern shore. Julie, describe these artifacts. We, we see them in the documentary, but tell me about a few of them. Yeah, the artifacts are typical that you'd find in any household from the first half of the 19th century. They're made out of a white earthenware. A lot of the plates are made from a white earthenware that were shipped from England to be sold in stores uh, in Maryland on the Eastern Shore. Uh, there are fragments of clay tobacco pipes and buttons. And what's interesting and exciting as an archaeologist is when you hold these artifacts in your hand, you think to yourself, wow, you know, Harriet Tubman could have been wearing this button or Ben Ross could have been smoking this pipe. And so it really, I think, creates this vignette of um, what their lives would have been like. And I think that's why it's so important that we share this with the descendant community and people that would be interested in this sort of history. And at, at a certain point, the film talks about some kinds of things found that could be called spirit bundles that seem to have religious significance? Yes. This is an exciting find because we found at one of the quarter sites, not where Ben Ross was living, but at another location about a mile away, but still on the same farm, 
we had a 20 foot by 30 foot brick foundation that had a brick fireplace there. And as we're digging down below where the floorboards would have been, we found this spirit bundle placed right in front of the fireplace. And that bundle included a glass heart shaped bottle stopper, uh, a round copper alloy button, bits of brick, white ceramic. And so all these artifacts together would have been considered an akisi or a spirit bundle that would have had the spirit or energy of an ancestor. And then it would have had medicine. The objects would have been empowered that way. And so I believe that this is related to um, a central West African uh, religion known as the Bakango religion, and that this spirit cache was placed in front of the fireplace as a way to protect the people inside, protect them from what or whom, I don't know, but it could have been from the enslaver, it could have been from an overseer, uh, it could have been from someone in the community or even from sickness. The film talks about, and Tina, you have alluded to, the skill set that Harriet Tubman picked up from her father, Ben Ross. I want to ask you about another set of skills. Here's Linda Harris-Cole of the Harriet Tubman Museum and Educational Center in Cambridge. The Underground Railroad was a system of locations, people, and code songs. So she knew because she had navigated the areas around the Eastern Shore from Dorchester to Caroline County and to Delaware. She knew the areas. She knew the people, the station managers. Her first night out in 1849, she walks 11 miles to the Leverton House. Hannah Leverton was a Quaker woman, a very, very important stop along the Underground Railroad. From there, she was told where to go, so she knew who she would meet. In this area between here and the Dorchester County into Philadelphia, there are 45 stops along the Underground Railroad. So they were stops, there, there were houses, farms, and there were station managers and abolitionists that were there at these various locations to aid the enslaved people to freedom. Tina, where did Harriet Tubman learn the people skills? Who to trust, who not to trust? And, and how did she find the moral courage to lead those daring escapes along the Underground Railroad? I would say, in my opinion, and also in her words, what she trusted most was God. Uh, she had great faith and she leaned on him for everything, relied on him. And she learned by, you know, she had to, when she started out on the, uh, you know, being a young child on the plantation, she was often, you know, having to take care of uh, small children and being out there in in the in the water doing muskrat traps uh and also you know just working in the fields at different times and and it wasn't until you know she was hitting the head uh that she began to see visions and they call it epilepsy that she had uh but she would drop off to sleep just briefly and then wake back up as if nothing had happened uh, so she had to learn also, she had to learn trust. I mean, because to, to know that during that time of sleep, that she would be okay, she, she relied, leaned on God. Her father and her mother taught her about how to navigate the landscape. Even though she was not a person that could read or write, she knew how to speak. 
she knew how to command uh, a person's attention and what to say. But all of that, everything that she did, she gives that glory to God. We have to take a short break in our conversation about the new documentary from Maryland Public Television, Ben's Ten, Chattel Slavery on Maryland's Eastern Shore. We're talking with Tina Wyatt, a descendant of Harriet Tubman, and with Julie Shablitsky, Ph.D., Chief of Cultural Resources at the Maryland Department of Transportation. Short break on the record. When we're back, how the very waters of the Chesapeake shaped the slavery economy and those seeking to escape it. I'm Sheila Gass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Among the tidal marshes, pines and oak trees, and sylvan villages of the Maryland Eastern Shore is buried a haunting history. If you look close enough, dig deep enough, you'll find relics of a not-too-distant past from the enslaved people who worked these coastlines. Here, many stories of hardship, triumph, and struggle have yet to be told, but among the unknowns, there is a name known across the country. The visionary abolitionist Harriet Tubman was born and raised here. A new documentary digs into Tubman's rediscovered childhood home and the economy of slavery which ruled Maryland's eastern shore until 160 years ago. The film, produced by Maryland Public Television, is called Ben's Ten, Chattel Slavery on Maryland's Eastern Shore. The Ben is Tubman's father, Ben Ross, and the ten are the acres where he lived and raised a family. Joining us to discuss the site is archaeologist Julie Shablitsky, Ph.D., the Chief of Cultural Resources at the Maryland Department of Transportation. Also with us is Tina Wyatt, an educator, nurse, and a descendant of Harriet Tubman herself. Tina, the story of the Eastern Shore is inescapable from its brackish waters. How did the rivers and tributaries in this area influence the way its enslaved residents sought their freedom? When I think about uh, the waters, you know, you have to know what is your habitat and what things are are there, what things are dangerous, what things are will aid you. And of course, we knew that uh, that they would escape. Uh, oftentimes, you know, they would have to go through uh, the different waterways, uh, which she knew very, very well. And so that aided her when she would uh, plan her escape because there were many areas and waterways that she would have to cross. Uh, so that made her, you know, very familiar. Also, the waterways helped bring to her uh, the watermen uh, from Baltimore that would tell her about what was going on outside of that area and uh, in an area where there were a lot of free blacks as well. So um, I would say that, you know, the water was really important in what she had to do in her lifetime, uh, especially all the way through the Civil War. 
So again, she depended upon God and her faith to give her direction and guidance. Uh, and like she said, she never lost a passenger. Julie, in addition to to finding Ben Ross's home, um, your expedition, the expedition you led, found another sort of a mystery dwelling. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we know that Anthony Thompson enslaved well over a few dozen people. And although we knew where Ben Ross lived, we knew there had to be other homes in the area. So we began to search and look and look at the landscape and found a piece of brick on the surface in a field and thought, well, let's go ahead and start digging and do some archaeology. And before we knew it, we had found another quarter site for enslaved people. That building was 20 foot by 30 foot. It had a brick foundation, a brick fireplace, and it's yielded thousands of artifacts telling us about how people lived and survived in that part of, of the Dorchester County. In addition to that building, we're also searching for other sites related to Harriet Tubman's life and her community. So we're going out again in the spring and looking for the homes of her community members because Harriet Tubman was part of a large network, a, a large community, and nobody knows about those people. Their stories are still silent and hidden in the swamp. And so part of our goal is to go out and find as many homes related to Harriet Tubman and her community and excavate those, learn about them, and share them with the public and incorporate those into the telling of the story on the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway. That's archaeologist Julie Shablitsky, Chief of Cultural Resources at the Maryland Department of Transportation, here on the record on WYPR. I'm Sheila Cast. Also with us is Tina Wyatt, an educator, nurse, and a great-great-great-grandniece of Harriet Tubman. We're talking about Ben's Ten, a new documentary about slavery on Maryland's eastern shore. Um, in the documentary, Mark Leone, distinguished university professor at the University of Maryland's Department of Anthropology, who has excavated and documented many sites of slavery in Maryland, is quoted. One of the things you see in the Maryland narratives from the 1930s is that slavery was every bit as wicked here as it was in Mississippi and Alabama. Um, it wasn't a whit nicer, kinder, gentler, more forgiving. It was every bit as awful. Tina, Harriet Tubman grew up on a relatively large plantation for the Eastern Shore. What was slavery like for her? She said that slavery was the next thing to hell. So <laughs> you can imagine, when she was young, she worked, like I said, she worked in the home of, of one of the owners of the plantation. And she was brutalized, you know, because she didn't know how to do something. Uh, she did not, was not able to decide when she wanted to sleep and when she wanted to wake uh, because she had to take care of uh, 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 the young child at the time. Um, and also in terms of as, you know, sleeping as well. I mean, as not sleeping, but um, uh, going out uh, of the building and doing other things. Um, so there was no, no treatment of kindness, uh, no treatment of, of, you know, that you were a human being uh, and that you had feelings and you had needs. 
those things did not exist when you lived on a plantation. So no matter whether you were uh, in Maryland, um, because I mean, the structures were different, the crops were different um, uh, and things like that. Or if you were, you know, further south, like uh, my my great great grand great 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 grandmother, Soap, uh, who we are, you know, looking for. Uh, we know that they took her away to Georgia, but is Georgia where she ended up? And we always think of that being even worse. But the way that people think of it being worse is that once you get down past a certain area. It's like you're never seen again. Julie, you have uncovered so much Maryland history with your excavations. And as you mentioned, you have more planned. Archaeology is is one way we can reconstruct history. Why are sites like Ben's 10 so important? Sites like Ben's 10 are so important because when you think about how history is recorded, and passed down, sometimes there's particular groups and communities that don't have a written record. The truth about them, their everyday lives is lost. We'll never know it. But with archaeology, we have that hope. We have the hope of finding homes, looking at what their daily life was like, trying to figure out how the landscape was used, learning about Harriet Tubman through Ben Ross's site, is also exciting. I think so often we look at Harriet Tubman as just as just one person. In reality, she was connected to so many people, influenced so many people, and that's how else we can reach her and reach her story. So I think archaeology is our loophole to really be able to time travel and get back into a past that wasn't recorded in written documents. Well, it's exciting to hear you both talk about it. I'm grateful to you for this conversation. Thank you both. Thank you. You're welcome. Julie Shablitsky, PhD, is the Chief of Cultural Resources at the Maryland Department of Transportation. Tina Wyatt is Harriet Tubman's great-great-great-grandniece. You can find out more about Ben's 10, Chattel Slavery on Maryland's Eastern Shore, as well as a link to watch it online at the On the Record page at wypr.org. Missed parts of today's conversation? Don't worry. You can find this episode and others wherever you listen to podcasts. On the Record's director and engineer is Ashley Sterner. Maureen Harvey, Melissa Gear, and Sam Burmas-Dawes produced the program. John Ahrens wrote and recorded the On the Record theme music. I'm your host, Sheila Cast. Thanks for listening. On the record on WIPR. Join us again tomorrow.